To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Uh, I got a brand new Eastman's Elevated podcast for you. So um, I had the treat of sitting down with Eastman's uh, Roger Selner. So Roger has been with us from the beginning with Mike Eastman. He's the one who started the Eastman's Elk Tour that eventually sold off to the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. And then he ran the Eastman's Deer Tour for years. And so um, Roger's passed the torch. We have a new guy that's doing the Eastman's Deer Tour. Uh, his name's Dan talk about him a little bit in the podcast but just really fun to sit down with Roger and hear the 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 start of the tour and uh, him tracking down some of these trophy heads and and uh, trophy mounts and and just some of his experiences throughout the years uh really fun for me so this we recorded this when I was over at the Eastman's office and it was just by chance Roger had stopped down that morning because he lives here in Montana, kind of close to me out of Livingston, but he had stopped down at the Eastman's office for some business or to drop off something. And um, I had a chance to snag him and and uh, capture this this conversation we had about the the Eastman's tour and the, the olden days of starting things out and uh, through the years how he evolved it and made it better and, and just why it was successful. So a uh, really fun episode. Uh, a great opportunity to sit down with with Roger and and uh, talk hunting, uh, so you guys will enjoy today's show. Uh, sponsor for today's show is uh, Technu. Uh, so Technu is a new sponsor for Eastman's, and I just I always like to support the companies that support us. I mean, they're the the reason why we're able to bring you all this great free content. Is is these sponsors step up and and help pay for our time to to be on the podcast? But Technu is a a great company. They're probably most known for their anti um, rash cream, uh, and it's it's cream that um, gets out poison oak, stinging nettles, anything with that that poison oil in it. And the time to get Technu is not after you get into Poison Ivy. It's like something that should always be in your truck or, or be at your home or be ready to use for when you do get into to Poison Oak or Poison Ivy. That stuff is horrible. It gets on you and creates this rash. Well, you're able to nip it in the bud if you have this this cream, this lotion you put on yourself and, and takes out the, the oil and, and that way it catches it before you break out. And this Poison Oak and Poison Ivy... Um, you just get into it so quick. You can get into it just walking through the woods. But where I've gotten it before is this spot I fish and I'd bring my dog and my dog would get him, get it on himself or I'd get it on my waders and then pet my dog or taken off my waders. And all of a sudden I'd start to get a rash and, uh, that it is just miserable for, uh, two to four days, five days until that, that heals up. Well, this is able to nip it in the bud and, and take care of it, uh, right off the bat. So make sure to check out their products. They have that, they have some, some anti-itch cream, uh, for mosquito bites or poison oak or, you know, wh- whatever you get into. Then they've got the, the tech new, um, the, the poison oak stuff. And then they've also got some really good insect repellent that I'll be using this year. And that's another thing that should always be in your pack that I kind of forget about on some of these early season hunts and um, 
man, those mosquitoes are Satan's little creature. Uh, those things will drive you mad on a hunt. And uh, so just to have a little bit, a little bottle of this tech new uh, mosquito repellent in your pack is a lifesaver, and also to have the the poison oak stuff uh, in your pickup or in your your first aid kit or at your house uh, can just be a lifesaver. So thanks to uh, Technu for sponsoring the podcast. Again, they're a new one here, and we just like to to support the companies that support us. So um, thanks to Technu. Uh, over there at Eastman's, we just did that, uh, that podcast tour over there. It's just great. Got some super recordings I'll be releasing to you guys and, um, and, and then just going to try to get some more. I got to get with Brandon Mason here and Ike Eastman when I get back from this Arizona hunt. Um, also I want to get with Scott Reekers. Um, so knowledgeable about backpacking and backcountry hunting. Uh, I want to get him on the, the podcast for another episode where we kind of cover backpacking and break it all down. Um, so try to get with those guys, uh, beyond the grid. We got some great new content coming out. Um, I'm going to release a podcast I did with Guy and Ike and Dan about their Tajikistan hunt, man, this, this hunt is unreal. Um, it, it just, uh, it, it's one of the toughest hunts I've ever heard about just with the weather and the elevation. Um, Dan was on death's door at one point from, from altitude sickness. Um, just an amazing podcast and they videoed the whole thing and they have a, uh, two Marco Polo sheep being being killed. Uh, spoiler alert: I didn't. Um, guy did kill a sheep over there, and and also they killed another one on film. That's um, gosh, I think like one of the. I can't remember exactly, and uh, I have to listen back to the podcast. But like top ten, top fifteen Marco Polo sheep ever ever killed. Um, just an amazing sheep. Guy, just a curler, just a beautiful sheep. But that's going to be coming out on Beyond the Grid. Make sure to check that out. I uh, also just turned in a bunch of footage to Dan on my caribou hunt, so I'm hoping he can make me up a, a good episode for Beyond the Grid for that as well. Um, but just doing some really neat things out there at Eastman's. Uh, you know, we're continuing to put out the, the best Western hunting magazine out there. And now with these new ventures with beyond the grid and the podcast, and then also our TV show on the outdoor channel, uh, got an episode that's coming out. Um, it's going to be my Idaho deer hunt. That's going to be on there. And, uh, I turned in a bunch of good footage, so I can't wait to see what they put together for that. But, uh, just a great company and, and, uh, going to continually try to put out great content for you guys. Um, with that, uh, let's get this conversation rolling. So Eastman's Elevated, uh, Roger Selner, here we go. Okay, I'm over here at the Eastman's office. Uh, I got a chance to sit down with Roger Selner. So this is uh, this is great for me. Um, I have so many questions to ask, but uh, you're one of the original starters of the Elk Tour and then the, the Door deer tour the eastman's tour that goes across the country to different shows and different sportsmen's warehouses and places uh, to show off these trophy heads yep yeah it was kind of a funny thing i backed into it uh i took an early retirement i was a locomotive engineer for the railroad in uh, 1984 they offered me a pension and buyout and i had hunted montana since the 70s and uh Talking to Dick Idle, who was a taxidermist from North Carolina, who had bought the Hole and Horn Buck, famous whitetail, and a bunch of other big whitetails. <coughs> and the deer tours were just starting back east, uh, like the Minnesota Classic, all these things. 
It was just popping up these ideas. And they called Dick and said, Dick, we want to pay you to bring the whole horn and these whitetails to the show. And Dick, had married, had two little children. He goes, Raj, you want a part-time job? I said, what's that? He goes, do the hunting shows. Two or three months in the winter, you fish all summer, not all fall. I said, perfect retirement job. So I was out the door back in the 80s with North American Whitetail Magazine, and we started doing the hunting shows back east. So I traveled with the Whitetails for five or six years mm -hmm. until they sold them. And then the Elk Foundation was launching, so I got the idea of doing an elk tour because the interest is phenomenal. People are elk crazy. And uh, so I wanted to tie it in with a magazine. So then I sent packages out to Outdoor Life, Field of Stream, Sports of Field. And I said, ah. And I even went to the Elk Foundation. They went, nah, we don't think it's going to work. I said, trust me, it'll work. So then I was talking to Mike at Salt Lake at a show. And Mike says, you know, I need national exposure. I have my little newsletter. Him and Bertie are running the magazine, the little newsletter. So he thought, yeah. So he said, what do you want? I said, well, this, wow, that's a lot of money. And he said, well, we need to put it together. We don't have enough sponsors. And the show fees are not going to make it work enough to make me a living and pay for all this. So Mike borrowed the money. I went to the bank, borrowed the money, got a black Dodge, black trailer, and we were out the door of the Eastman's World Record Elk Tour. One, I have the old photos here of the truck and trailer that says Eastman's. That was it. So then I was telling Bob Munson, the founder of the Elk Foundation, that I had a 70-foot display, black velvet, 10 400-inch elk. He says, we've never at any convention ever had anything like it. So we raised the ante a little bit to go to Reno to make this pay. Set up at Reno, walked out the door with Realtree, Bass Pro, Elk Foundation Board. He came on as a sponsor. So we wound up with Mike was a major sponsor and the four secondaries and the whole idea to contract the heads from the owners, focus on the story, not necessarily the score. And it just launched itself. This way, every year, we have a new exhibit. Mm -hmm. So we did the Elk Tour for eight years, sold that back to the Elk Foundation. And I, my fascination was deer, and redesigned it, built a new display, and went out the door with a, the new deer tour. Mm -hmm. And Eastman's bought the whole shoot match seven, eight years ago, and I got tired of the marketing. I just want to find the stories and do the shows. Mm -hmm. That was, get back to the fun part. <laughs> you guys can have the ante. So <laughs> well, and that, that was that's a, kind of the whole thing. That's 30 years. Yeah, well, and so. that was a, a big part of uh, building Eastman's, too, <laughs> oh, was yeah. getting those heads around and having it being Eastman sponsored and oh, teaming up with Mike in the in yeah. the early days. We moved that mic just up just a hair, Roger. Yeah, it was just rubbing oh, on your shirt there. But, uh, yeah, that's amazing. Um, and, and still to this day, I – any time that I'm around that deer tour or the mm -hmm. elk tour, I've mm -hmm. got to go see it and look oh, at absolutely. those heads. And some of those those deer you turn up year after year are just amazing. 
Well, that was the key way back then because Dick had bought these big heads. And to change the exhibit, he had to spend a lot of money to buy another big whitetail mm -hmm. for one new story. Mm -hmm. Well, back in the, that era, they focused on the score. And everybody at the shows, what's the story behind it? Well, the next thing I know, I was walking up and down the display with a microphone telling the stories. And I was meeting people. You can use my deer, but I'm not selling it. So I thought about that for a couple of years. Bought marketing tapes, stuff with the truck driving around. Let's get into marketing. How's all this work? Talking to the exhibitors and the show producers. Show producer needs a new exhibit every year. So I started writing these people's names down. Wow, let's just borrow them. Give them a new mount, put it in the record book. They get the stories. Give them their plaque, magazines, whatever. And at the end, they get their deer back after six or eight months. So then it just perpetuated. They did the stories in Eastman's. You know, if you got a big head, contact the deer tour. It'll go on tour, you know, and the word spread, and it just snowballed. Then we wind up with 20, 30 heads a year. Let's pick what we need, you know. The three to a cart, we need 12 heads mm -hmm. every year. So then you could pick and choose, start spreading them. So you had different states, uniqueness, all western deer, some whitetails, freak heads, but the stories, focus stories, you know, that this was granddad's or whatever, mm -hmm. you know. So the stories just perpetuated it. That's what people wanted to hear. Yeah, what 90 a... 90% of the people, they want to know the stories. Scores are a bonus for trophy hunters or score people. So you gave them both. Mm -hmm. So that's just, it just snowballed. Mm -hmm. They're just, you know, so special, exciting. I miss that part in the retirement now of getting the call and going looking, knocking on their door and walking around the corner and seeing a deer that will knock your socks off. You can't put your hands around it. <laughs> you know, a few years back we had a whitetail outside of Lewistown. So we went there and Grandma was telling the stories and you want coffee and let's go look at the deer. I want to see this deer. <laughs> and they're talking about a 30-point whitetail. Okay, okay. Been there, done that, you know. Finally, oh, yeah, you want to see my husband's deer? Yes. <laughs> Walk around the corner. Here's a 30-point whitetail. You know, scores 239 typical. Drop tines, brow tines that are 12 inches long. Just <laughs> knock your socks off. So that's the treasure hunt, you know, that, uh, okay, it'll work for the deer tour, you know. <laughs> so, twist my arm <laughs> so <laughs> excuse me I have that yep so for six years she goes the deer's not leaving the house it's staying right here in the right here in the dining room so her son wanted a new mount had the worst old 50 year old mount it was like on a doe they cut the hide down I mean, it had a 12-inch neck, you know. <laughs> so uh, six years later, I get this phone call. It's Roger, I'm on my way home. My mom's going in assisted living. I just inherited the deer. Come get it. 
He wasn't even home. He's already calling me. Two days later, I'm off to Lewistown. We're getting that deer right now. Got the contract, got the deer, went on tour. Yeah, that's a long chase on that one. Um, yeah, well, and, and some of those Patience. old deer mounts, too. I bet oh. you go in and look at those things. Yeah, some of those were horrible, weren't they? They went back to, I think some of the oldest was, I don't. I didn't have any 1800s, but I had some early 1900s, mm-hmm. 1906. 1912, back then they used arsenic and the heights. And so you didn't know what that height. So when you took it apart, you better not breathe the dust. And you better be wearing gloves. Take the antlers off and dispose of that mount. You know, there was, they used the whole skull. It was bleached down. Uh, There was a board frame, chicken wire, paper mache, straw. Anything that they could put in there to make a mount in the early 1900s and, you know, the glass eyes and stuff. So there was bizarre stuff, you know, that uh, I got a comical. I took two apart in a motel, valuable heads, you know. I took them apart in a motel, stuck the heads in the trash can, and I heard later the maid freaked out, walked in there, and here's this old mount looking up out of a trash can. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, missing the but, horns. Yeah, missing the horns, and these eyes were looking out of the trash can. You know, <laughs> so it was, you know, got that part done, and the antlers were on the bed. I would send pictures to the guy. I went, "Here's the two ones laying on the adjacent bed. You can't leave them in the vehicle. Mm-hmm. You know, they're extremely valuable. So, you know, wild stories." Yeah, well, you got so much responsibility to the owner, oh, too, yeah, exactly. to take good care of them exactly. and make sure. But, yeah, yeah, I bet you dang near treat them like your kids, bringing them into the motel oh, every absolutely. night, never leaving anything in the truck. And We had references a mile long. Boone and Crockett, Pope and Young, Bass Pro, you know, uh, everybody that's involved. And so I'd, you know, give my credentials. And a couple of people actually called everybody before they handed over their prized possession. You know, I mean, it's 250 270 the non-typical mule deer, that's great, you know, and so it was bizarre. I mean, it was just just crazy, so. Well, it's got to be kind of tough to hand over your prized possession because I, I know even my underst- biggest mule deer in my house, you know, yeah. I understand. I'd be calling your credentials <laughs> as well. <laughs> exactly, that, that, yeah. and that's fine. Yeah. I mean, relationship for Bass Pro, I could go to their museum and pick a head out. And I used Western Whitetails. I had the Montana one and two, Colorado, Idaho's for all the years. And we do a contract. I would leave, you know, from Bass Pro to have it on the tour. Mm-hmm. I mean, because of the credentials, the reputation from all the years and stuff. To, and those Whitetails back then, I mean, today, I mean, they're extremely valuable, mm-hmm. the state records and stuff. And But I was able to, you know, use that part to bring the Western heads back out here mm-hmm. for the tour, you know, to have a Western whitetail, uh, world record blacktail, uh, Bass Pro owns that. Mm-hmm. It was a 9 by 9 out of Oregon. Uh, that was scored 208, non-typical. Oh, wow, for a blacktail. For a blacktail. That's crazy. 9 by 9 it's still the current world record, mm-hmm. non-typical, and Bass Pro on that. And we had the world record blacktail. Mm-hmm. So we'd put Sitkas, 
We had some uh, cows whitetails, you know, in there to show western deer mm-hmm. and to help educate people mm-hmm. that you had a, another subspecies that what you had out here. You know, so you had whitetail, mule deer, had some great Sitka deer from Alaska, mm-hmm. uh, and a number of other Columbia blacktail that, you know, were extremely high scoring. Mm-hmm. So, so the western shows, we were in California, Sacramento, you know, San Mateo at the time, Redding, all those shows. So that gave the interest to the subscribers, you know, which has a high subscriber base of California Priestman. So mm-hmm. that's, you know, keep that interest. And every year the tour changed. So the show producers, exhibitors, they showed up when we were setting up. What's new this year? <laughs> in the front, wait till we're done and turn the lights on. And they're photographing the exhibitors. Oh, we're sending them home right now, taking pictures and stuff. The exhibitors. So they do. It was a new marketing exhibit every year. So anyway, great for the magazine. And So then the magazine, we featured one every issue of the magazine. The TV shows. You saw the new stuff every year. Guys, well, let's see what Rogers found today. Boop, and a little blurb. Come to the shows. You're not going to get the rest of the story, you know. And that is the fun part That's of fun it, part. too, is that, exactly. that story. And yeah. so as, you, as you'd as you research and find these heads, then you would get the story. And oh, I'm absolutely. Sure the more times you tell it, I'm sure the, the better it gets or the yeah. the more you remember the details. But, yeah, how oh. cool. And you guys evolved that throughout the years to yeah. just make it better and better every year. And now the Eastman Steer Tour is, is, is world-renowned. Yeah. Yeah. I was interested in measuring and record books mm-hmm. and – Went to the school library in 1956 and checked out the book on how to measure heads. Because they're reading old Outdoor Life, Illustreams. They're talking about Boone and Crockett. What the heck's Boone and Crockett? How do you get something in the record book? In 1960, I bought the 1958 Boone and Crockett book. And I've collected all the record books in North America. I have a whole complete collection of all the state books, the Whitetails books, Back East, Canada, brochures, stuff that you don't even know existed, and mass that collection. So that was a background that I, I enjoyed that part of it. Mm-hmm. I can remember the scores and the story. Don't ask me people's names. <laughs> but I can remember the deer. You know. <laughs> but to put that together, be able to measure these pe- heads for the people, mm-hmm. and we'd put them in the record book, do the stories, and so many homes now have the complete Eastman plaque. It's a wall tribute. The head's newly mounted, the plaque from the shows, their Boone and Crockett score sheet, the collector's edition are all part of a wall. The granddad or dad, uncles, whoever, I followed up years later, stop and visit, and here's a wall tribute. The whole thing is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a sad story. One of the hunters in Utah was dying. They gave him months to live. He, he was uh, very well-to-do, mm-hmm. lived in a gated community. And his pride, his greatest possession, his trophy, making the deer tour. And they, well, they want to know what he wanted at the funeral. And I stopped to see him. He 
passed away two weeks later. I was on the way to Vegas. Stopped to say hi. Had coffee. Wife made cookies. I left. I mean, she left. And he goes, my friends don't want to come over. They don't want to see me. I want to visit my hunting friends, the family. He told them, I want my deer head and my plaque at, at the funeral. Yeah, <laughs> that's what he had. <laughs> Good I for mean, him. That's I was great. Just, I didn't know what to say. Mm-hmm. That, But he said that was the greatest event in his life, to go to the show and have his friends call from all over. I saw your deer in the deer tour, mm-hmm. you know, and he was accomplished financially, you know, I'm in a gated golf course community, but there's deer to go back on the wall and the plaque, the stories and everything about it, you know, immortalized it. It was, it was fabulous. I mean, what a great story. It was a deer jerker. It was heartbreaking, you know, and I found out several weeks later that he passed away. It was Highlight of his life, mm-hmm. his great trophy. So trophies really mean something to people. Not this, back then. Or even the other part of the story uh, it had a huge inline point. As a typical, I think it scored like two hundred six. You take that typical point would be the Utah State record. The typical frame was two fifteen, huh. and he entered it in the buck contest back at Utah. You got a point for each point, and you got an inch for the spread. He won a pair of socks <laughs> out of 30-some heads at the buck contest. So he said, there's no trophy. Put the rack in the garage. His kids got it to age, married. His new son-in-law said, you got to take measured. That is a great deer. No, I didn't. I won a pair of socks. No, no, no. You need to have it measured, Boone and Crockett. So he did, and that's what we found out. It was a high-scoring typical, and then it went from a plaque to the tour, the whole thing, Boone and Crockett, and there's the whole story today. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just uh, uh, put it together. Mm-hmm. You know, you s- preserve some history and with the family and the stories and uh, the excitement in the families, you know, to find out what dad or granddad's deer was. That's where you really set it up right, too, Roger, is uh, taking care of those hunters that, 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 uh, you know, that harvested that trophy, going to meet with them and have coffee with them. They know their head's safe, and then it gets to travel across the country, and different hunters get to look at it, hear their story. They get to share it with other hunters, and then it comes back, and they get this quality mount and these plaques and and, uh, the measure and the whole deal. But that's where you really set it up right, was taking care of the hunters and their trophies. Listening to it, to focus on the the key part, the people, what what they want to see or hear, and the stories, and watching people go down the exhibit, not necessarily hunters. I had a lady that was in her 90s. She stood and read every story. I watched her all the way down, came back. She goes, I'm not a hunter. The stories were fabulous. The taxidermy was phenomenal. Those animals look real. She goes, look at some of the animals that don't even, not a tribute to the animal. Well done exhibit. Thank you. So somebody has been around, lived that long, but appreciated the stories and the quality of the taxidermy. Mm-hmm. 
So that, was, that's a big part of that is. taxidermy is bringing Abs- them to look look real look life. And real. so when you find a head, then you would yes. have it remounted almost Correct. everyone. Everyone. Okay. Everyone. You wanted a new high end museum quality mount. We got a phenomenal taxidermist. You know, uh, wildlife recaptures does everything for us. Eastman stuff, my personal stuff. If you look at his website, phenomenal taxidermy. He's done work for Bass Pro, Cabela's, Dick Sporting Goods stores. But you want something that represents your animal the rest of your life. Especially if you're 25 or 30 years old. You're going to look at it for a long time. I've thrown all my old stuff away. It was so bad. I couldn't look at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got a couple yeah. of my early ones That's hidden exactly. in the back corner as well. Um, yeah. yeah, no, good uh, taxidermy uh, is worth its weight in gold. It, it brings it to life, and it makes it look real and how you remember it. And then to do things the right way and not take any shortcuts yes. when they're thinning the high, when they're putting it together, the eyes, the nose, the detail yeah. work. And then to have that last for years to come. Uh, you, might, you might save $200. And your neighbor did it in the garage. But a year later, you're going to pay. You know <laughs> that, oh, that deer don't look, look like my picture. That's not my deer, you mm-hmm. know, or my antelope or whatever it may be. So you, know, you pay down the road. Mm-hmm. So that was, a, you know, I mean, we had a great Idaho deer. Uh, the guy comes in and he goes, my daughter said, I'm giving you the deer. I don't know you. But she's inheriting it, and she wants it mounted, and she wants it in the deer tour. So where do I sign? He never knew me. I hadn't <laughs> met him. We got the story. It was on a plaque. You know, it was massive. You know, it was like a 250s non-typical Idaho deer. But he's giving me the deer because his daughter says, you're giving it to me. He's coming tomorrow to pick it up. So great. So when we had it mounted, the family loaded up. Suburban two truckloads from Idaho drove to Twin Falls. Here's 30 family members, grandkids, the whole family. Okay, Grandpa, stand by your deer. They did photo shoot, granddad, grandkids, and he was so embarrassed. You know, it was no big deal. But after that, what the daughter had done while Grandpa was still alive, to get all the photos, get the grandkids. And I mean, he said there was the whole family at sporting, Sportsman's Warehouse doing a photo shoot <laughs> to get Grandpa in there with his, with his deer. That's great. That old that school, they don't like to take yeah. pictures or no. like to, no. but but having those memories to look back on. And now exactly. my grandpa has this whole photo album. And so every year I send him all my pictures and yeah. he puts them in the photo album. And now anybody that comes over to the house, you know, he wants to show him the photo album and he's got some of his older photos in there. But yeah, uh, a, I have to like part of it. that next, that uh, generation above me, that my dad and my uncle, they don't like to, they like to take maybe one picture of their deer or two pictures. So I've right. got to make them take a few pictures so, exactly. we, so we can remember the hunt and look and, back on. And, and they appreciate it. Because it's the younger generations that appreciate it. No, because they're getting into more hunting. It was about meat hunting. The antlers weren't a big deal. A lot of them weren't even packed out of the mountains, especially big elk. It's about meat. But to save that right now or to get a picture of, like we said, of granddad, you know, down the road here before he 
passes on to complete that history and the family. I mean, it's just priceless. Absolutely. So that's the treasure hunt I miss. I wish Dan the best. <laughs> yeah, so, so now you've got a, a new kid trained up yep. that is Dan perfect Woodbridge. for the job. Oh, he's he's a, doing the Eastman he's Store. He's a mule deer nut. He is crazy for mule deer, and <laughs> he, he remembers sure everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He doesn't like the whitetails. we got to educate him a little more. <laughs> There's other species of deer. <laughs> it's not a, just about mule deer yeah there's no elk for him there's no white tail <coughs> it is he is yeah. a mule deer yeah, guy exactly isn't he? exactly but he's got a lot of passion for it oh, yeah you sure found the right guy he for is, the job he is good yeah. yeah so you yeah. were able to get him trained up and now he's running the, he's running the tour deer tour okay yeah. but so. yeah that chase had to be fun getting those leads on those deer uh you probably wore out a couple trucks driving across the country trying to find some two of these million things. miles and 30, 30 years. Ninety-five <laughs> percent of all the highways in North America. Now to extend on my hunting truck, I bought one of the show trucks. Kept it. Uh, is Libby fishing? It's four hundred thirty miles. I've been back east. It will not happen again. <laughs> I'm not going to Washington D.C. or you know Chicago or Atlanta. Been there. Been to all those shows. So, oh. so you would hear about these deer. I, I guess he was just being in the business long right. enough and, and having your your ear to the ground and always listening for a hot new lead yeah. on a big deer. And then when you'd get one, you'd try to figure out who harvested it, yeah. touch bases with them, and then go down and meet them and, and earn their trust and then try to get their, their deer on the tour. Especially, too, being a Boone and Crockett measure, all the other Boone and Crockett measures, a lot of them were dialed into this, and they'd see the mount talked to the owner, didn't mean anything, and they went, uh, there's a deer tour, Eastman's deer tour. If you're interested in a new mount or a story or putting in the record book, here, call Roger. So I had all these agents running around the country, all the shows, all the vendors. So the network was gigantic. Anybody saw a big head? They were telling me, there's one hangs here and Podunk Bar and Timbuktu. And I write my notes down and, okay, I got a day off. <laughs> Drive around there and go down there. And Another great big deer uh, was in the deer tour, big typical. Uh, a hunter in Nevada was up there hunting. Mule deer walked in to their family room. Here's his giant, typical. Same thing. Had a non-typical kicker. Oh, two twenties, typical frame. Oh wow, terrible mount. So, gave me the lead. Was in Salt Lake. I got a couple of days off. I'll drive to Elko and go look at it. It was a Basque sheep ranch way up in the mountains, and uh, her husband passed away. She ran the ranch. So I met him. He says, "I'll take the day off." He lived in Reno. We met at Elko. Drove up in the mountains. Snow up to their butt, goes in there. Here's the crazy thing. The second or third issue of Eastman's Bow Hunter, Grandma gets her elk. It's all framed on the wall. Here's her mounted elk. She had already been in Eastman's with her elk in the early issues of the Bow Hunter. Grandma gets her elk. She goes, oh, I've been seeing the deer to her. And I'd love to have that. That mount is so bad, out the door with that deer we went. And so that adds to her whole 
hunting history. She's a hunter, you know, and it made Eastman's bow hunting issue. And here's the frame magazine, the pictures, her hunting pictures, and the whole thing. Grandma gets her elk. So it was that was a shoe in, but that was an easy one to go out the door with. So uh, new mount in the deer tour. Oh, then doing research and looking at deer heads. I mean, just photograph them on my boom. That Boone and Crockett came out with a new book called Mule Deer Retrospective. So I was going through the book, studying every. Here's this deer, huge. 300-pound deer in a meat locker in Grand Junction, Colorado. That was the deer with the hunter. <laughs> so we went back and tracked it back, went back to Elko. They went to California with the hunter. He had shot that in Grand Junction, had the meat, was at the locker, went home. His widow did not want the deer rack. It was going in the dump. So when they were back there from Nevada for his funeral, we'll take it back to Nevada. We'll hang the deer rack in our ranch. So the story went around. They saved it from California to Elko. We found the old photo in that book with the deer at the locker at Grand Junction. Of course, she didn't know. Unknown to the new owners, the family friends, in Nevada, there it was in the book. Mm -hmm. We found two or three of the deer in that book that add back to the stories, totally unknown to any family member, that the old photos, because Boone and Crockett saves everything in the archives, you know, and they put it in that book. Priceless book. Oh, how cool how that they cool had those, that? those old yeah. photos like those that. Old I, photos. I would think you found a deer in Elko. I would think it came from Elko. There's some exactly. big deer that come out of that yeah. country. But Grand yeah, Junction. to be able to track that down well, and absolutely. figure out where it came from, yeah. that's really neat. And that great big stag that was in the book that was bought out of an antique store, it, the stag was missing a drop tine. And a hunter that came to the store, the Denver show every year, Bought this in an antique store. And what was left of it was like 236, non-typical, all velvet. So we assumed it was out of Colorado. In that retrospective book was a story, the black and white photo in the 1930s. They transplanted the mule deer from... Southern California, out to the islands, and started the mule deer herd. And they had a hunt, 33 or 34. He shot this stag on one of the first hunts. And here's the whole story. He hand-wrote the story, submitted it to Boone and Crockett. They said, sorry, we do not accept stags. Thank you for much for submitting it. But it stayed in the archives. They sent him the score sheet and said they won't enter it. And they just put that photo in their book. There it was. I had the whole story from the transplant. The first deer was the old original black and white photo in the 30s of that stag. There's the story up to 2000s. Here we are in this era. And that thing was, you know, 
90 years old, and they moved through the Wounded Crocodile archives, and that old book, there's the whole story. Put it all together. So the owner's got the photo. The stories are there. The old black and white, handwritten the whole story out, you know. When How he submitted neat. it. That is priceless it to is. be able to find that it information is. and find the backstory There's, on it and be able exactly. to tell the owners or tell the family yeah. and uh, share those pictures. That is so cool, That was Roger. the priceless of putting those stories yeah. together. Yeah, well, I, and I know uh, the Eastmans are always bragging how you and Dan know deer so well. Oh. How you see one and yeah. then you remember it. And, oh, uh, we were we were in Idaho and Ketchum there, and we went and had breakfast in this this little restaurant <laughs> in there. And there yep. was this giant muley buck in there. And so, yep. uh, guy says, "Watch this." He says he takes a picture of it and he sends it to Dan. <laughs> and he uh, he says, "Hey, I found a deer for you." And Dan typed him back within ten minutes and said, "Oh, it's this and this buck. He scores that. It's a reproduction." <laughs> I knew it was in that restaurant. Like he knows every deer across the country, but you get to know him yeah. so well. Yeah. Spending so many years tracking him down and finding the stories. And but like you said, you knew it was a replica. You knew exactly what, you know, how crazy it is. So, well, then Eastman's published the deer book for me years ago. You know, it's, I know there's still copies left. It's called, gone? No. It's called, you know, it's called Great Deers. Then putting those stories in there. And we did an elk book way back, and that's totally gone. And put those stories, preserving history. I think how, I have both of those books. How, how priceless is that, to preserve the history? Oh, priceless, so, yeah. But now they're doing that collector's edition every year. Yep. You know, you could put those together, you know, you collect them. There's the stories. That's what makes the, the whole tour is the stories. It does. It it's is. it's those bucks that we all dream about, yeah. and they they happen to us average guys. You just gotta yeah. keep putting in your time and your research, and oh, absolutely. And, and, but when it all comes together, it is a really special deal. And so <laughs> to be able to share that story with you, and then yeah. you have you share it to to mm. everybody that sees that yeah. deer head, that is really neat. Oh. That's what hunting's all about. Yeah, and some of the even back with the elk tour, and uh, just another crazy elk we couldn't prove positive but it was on the cover of the elk book and it was out of the meeker hotel and we could i could date it from the old photos from the meeker hotel was built in the late 1800s teddy roosevelt stayed there he would go on his lion hunts and i think in that era they were trading lodging for antlers early late 1800s, early 1900s, because the value was not in the antlers. So the Meeker Hotel was assembling all these great mule deer. They had like five elk that are over 425, sheds up to 450. Oh, just bizarre. Crack skulls, some of them can't be entered. One has 10 drop tines. Oh, my gosh. And these are, and those heads... I reused in the elk door, the same scenario for eight years, remounted them, and all those old photos going back, going to the museum and Meeker, word of mouth, trying to put these histories together. Well, this big typical has a third brow. It's 427. And at the time, Boone and Crockett accepted, as long as it was matching, it was a typical 7 by 7 that you know go in the record book. Well, they have since now 
uh, the first four points, the G4, anything abnormal is a non-typical. So those extra third brows today are non-typical points. They don't add. Well, then going back into that, I could date it from around 1900 to 1920. We couldn't come up with any more information on that head. I have the old black and white photo of that head in the Meeker Hotel. So I was invited to the Cedar Edge Rod and Gun Club, put together a big, dis- had the display. I did elk. We had the deer several times for a fundraiser for their gun club. Their sole fundraiser. They tied it in with their Apple Festival in October. So I was invited over to their house, big dinner, bunch of members, big food spread. So he introduces me to his grandmother. She's in her 90s. We're sitting there chit-chatting. She goes, oh, my husband worked on the government highway. That was the one that went up through Meeker in the early 1900s. And he had an elk license. He stayed and hunted. He shot a great big typical elk and gave it to the Meeker Hotel. That was the only typical in that time frame. We have no photos. She's just sharing the story. I'm going, now that's pretty good odds. That was the typical elk he gave to the hotel. That was the only one that fit the time frame, the mounted head, or what was in the hotel in that era. Who knows? It probably is, right? Probably is. <laughs> what great detective but, but, work to track that But she's that just down. telling me a story over dinner, <laughs> and she's in her 90s. She didn't know what I was doing. She didn't mean anything to her about the tour they had. So there was no reason to not disbelieve her. You know, it was about meat. You know, gave the antlers to the hotel. And it fit that window and that time frame. What a small world. Who, who and, yeah, knows? To, to be I talking walked, to you and connect the dots. Yeah, you know, I walked out of so her scratching my head. I, had, I don't believe she just told me. <laughs> that story pinch me yeah, is this real yeah. I mean to hear that story so many years later mm-hmm. about her grandfather I mean it was just and again backs how small our hunting world is and listening to hunters mm-hmm. and family you know yeah, crazy it was you know hard to believe there it is <laughs> and all those heads still in the Meeker Hotel. Uh-huh. It's a tourist attraction. You walk in there, it is something. It is, isn't it? It is something. Yes, I've looked at oh. it as well. Just some yeah. giant bulls in oh, there. Oh, the bulls, the deer. Yeah. Uh, one of the big, the big non-typical, 295. Oh. Measured it. 395, right? Or, uh, uh, 295, mule deer. Oh, gotcha, okay. Double drop tines, no story, no history. We featured it in Eastman's. I did a story back when I was running around doing these heads. Two years later, I pull in there with Eastman's truck. This guy comes in and he goes, yeah, some friends told me that story you did in Eastman's a couple years ago, that's my dad's deer. 
You want to see the picture, the field photo? I went, are you kidding me? I'll go home and get it. He comes back. You know, Harry, Harry George. There's the deer. So we had another story. And it went the deer tour. And we found the hunter. And the story, the pieces all went together. You know? That is so neat, it Roger. Just... Tracking down those stories and, <laughs> yeah. uh, and horns oh, and trying to connect all the dots yeah. to, to put that together yeah. for the deer tour. That's just Ma- amazing. Many, many, many follow-up people or relatives told me who it was, and then we put the rest of the dots together, the complete story, mm-hmm. and in some cases, photos. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we had stories, uh, you know, that went on. Uh, a more recent one in Idaho, and it was such a great deer. I wanted to use it in tour. Priceless deer. I said, little paragraph. We're working on the story. Not a real old head, you know, but the deer is gorgeous. So, very first show. I think we did one of the Idaho shows. One of Sportsman's Warehouse. Woman says, he's my neighbor. She calls him on a cell phone. Your deer is in the tour. I said, what? Well, they owned a, a, a sporting store, a grocery store. He hung it in there. He needed the money, family issues, sold it, didn't know where the deer went, and it wound up in the tour. So I got the whole story backtracked. He came to the show. Well, there was a new owner. So he got the mount, pictures of it, which all this he lost. Wound up in the deer tour. Completed the whole story. But there was a new owner, the whole thing, you know, how it went back. You know, he needed money at the time, and it moved on, but... We backtrack, and he wound up finding out where his deer went, and what it scored, and a picture of his new mount. So at least they had that part yeah. for, the, for his memory. Oh, that's huge. The very, very first, right there, Sportsman's Warehouse, and boom, it was out the door, and went and contacted him, and he was down there in a heartbeat, and we put it all together. Changed the Next week, we had a new plaque. There's the story. There's mm-hmm. how it went. The whole, the whole hunt. Everything was there. How so, neat. Find out your deer's yeah. in the deer tour, yeah, the and you just got to head down to go see yeah, it. Go see it. <laughs> get your picture taken. Get exactly. It. Yeah. Well, so, and, and to some people, they didn't have much value back then. It was no. just a buck, and they were hunting for meat, and me. they, they sold it because they exactly. needed the money for something. But uh, then as it changes hands, I think they remember it and remember yeah. that deer and go, gosh, I yeah. wish I went to got rid of that. Yeah, right? and, sold and, it. and then uh, to be able to run into it again and yeah. get photos with it, that's really yeah. neat. But, you know, and the priceless part was to be able to get an old photo, mm-hmm. to piece oh, it together. yeah. The old fo- field photos. This just didn't have cameras back then. And to have a real old photo, wow, that was something. You know, the it just – and that went on a, more times than you could really say over the years. So that was just uh, priceless, just priceless. And it's continuing today. Uh, the whitetails back east have been saturated. I don't think there's a hidden head in a basement that is not unknown. But right now, today, western deer, I'll guarantee you, there are barns and there are sheds. I know where they are. They won't let me in there. But through, <laughs> through connections, 
finally from a family member or an heir, we're going to inherit that. It will come out. There are great big deer right today. I know some outside of Livingston, there's a barn full of antlers that till down the road, it comes out, and there's some big deer in there that we're going to find another one. So yet today, throughout the West, there are still hidden deer that we're piecing together today. They're there. It'll continue. You'll, there'll be new stories and new heads because it's just coming down now. The younger family members want to find out mm -hmm. about dad or granddad's deer that they just inherited. Mm -hmm. Yeah, how oh. how neat. Yeah, Dr. Corbett there, Casper, you know, is a big deer. Uh, he called me at the shows. He said, I can't get out of the house. I see the deer tour, Portsmouth's Warehouse. If you'd like to stop up at the house and see my deer, I went, okay, dead tired. I load the deer Sunday night, drive the truck and trailer up in a residential. Where do I park this big trailer? Knock on the door, walk in there, and here's this giant 280s, non-typical mule deer, <laughs> drop tines, hanging on the wall. Okay, I'm refreshed. <laughs> Let's hear the story, you know. And he shot it outside of Cody for meat in 1942. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Uh, 1942. That's, that's got to be what drives you to keep it looking is. and keep searching is knowing that those deer are he out there. He wrote a three-page detailed story when he was, I think, 12 years old, I think, or 12 or 14, when you could hunt in Wyoming. I can't remember what it was. In 1942. And he said, I shot it with a mini ball. I said, what's a mini ball? It was a 410 with a slug. <laughs> You're kidding. No. <laughs> he took a handful of slugs and some bird shot. His dad set up the tent. He goes, go shoot dinner. I'm going to shoot some squirrels and rabbits for us to eat in our tent camp in 1942. You know, and this big buck was laying there right off the trail, was watching me. I break open the 410. Put a mini, put a slug in. I shoot the deer. It humps up. It was shot, but it's bleeding. It goes off. I kept tracking, following, following, and the deer stayed ahead of me. Wasn't you know, a good shot. Getting dark. What do I do? Okay, I'm gonna wait here till daylight. I'm gonna start tracking. He had a couple squirrels, a rabbit. Sets down underneath the tree. Scrapes the spot. Builds a campfire. How many kids today would be not afraid of the dark, but was going to camp there, eat a squirrel or a rabbit, and wait till the next day to go get his deer? He heard some shooting down the mountain. His father fired a shot. He fired a shot back. And so his father comes up. He tells him the story. Okay, let's put the fire out. We know where it is. Let's go back to camp. We'll eat your rabbit. Have dinner. I'll come tomorrow. We'll go look for your deer. Father, next day, up there, they find the deer. You know, and he called me. And, you know, it was a surgeon from Dr. Corbin from from uh, Casper, Wyoming. Mm -hmm. It's in the deer tour. And 
What a, another cool one. What another and, cool story. Yeah, Just never, a different day and age, a different exactly. time. Yeah, they they built them tough back then, yeah. didn't they? Yeah, for a kid that age is going to sleep in the woods, in the mountains, and it's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. not, not with this 410. <laughs> <coughs> no doubt. Yeah, uh, yeah that so. is so neat. Those stories behind the deer and the, the old photos, like you say. Yeah. And I know in my family, you know, my grandpa from sitting around at hunting camp telling stories. Yeah. And, and he's got, you know, I grew up in Washington is, is where I went to school. And so he's got mm-hmm. stories of big blacktails and a, a couple mounts on the walls. Yeah. And, you know, we'll remember those stories forever and those photos we have and those those mounts of his so yeah to be yeah. able to preserve that and what you oh, did for those people over the years and teaming up with eastman that that's, was so great oh we could get recent trophies uh through the magazine that uh, if you want your deer in the deer tour you get a free mount if you want to share it with the people and a lot of new hunters say yes i killed a great trophy mule deer why not share it with the people I get my deer back. I get a nice $800,000 museum mount. And everybody in the western states got to see it. It was on TV. It was in Eastman's. I get my deer back. Mm-hmm. That's priceless. How special could that be? <laughs> that you is know, special. I mean, and so they're still killing giant still, deer. They every sure year. are. Yeah. And we get some of them. We're not going to get them all. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But if you're interested, I mean, Kyle Lopez. The 306 deer. Holy buckets, you know. Uh, 14 years old, shot the deer. He called Mike. Mike, what do I do? I'm nervous. This deer is a great deer. The taxidermist, he wants to take it right away. He's going to put it in his booth. And he goes, oh, I don't know. Does he insure it? Is he trustworthy? Mike calls me. I was in Grand Junction. Roger, what are you doing? I'm in Grand Junction, picking up a deer. You want to drive to Colorado Springs and look at a deer, measure it? You know, it's huge. You know, 30-some points. I drive to Grand Junction, measure it. We green measured it like 304, 303. I went to the low side. This is a great deer. Green score. It's going to shrink a little, maybe spread. So when we officially measure it in 60 days, I'd rather have it go up or be close than rough it out high at 306 and it's 301. Disappointing. So when your green scores stuff, be a little conservative. So there we go. It was in the tour. It's on the cover of the it's on the cover of the deer book. Mm-hmm. So there you go. You know. Is so it, you got some new ones. It was an unbelievable yeah. deer, wasn't it? Oh, yep. The whole thing. Yeah, and, so, and to have 14, a 14-year-old 14 14-year-old boy. Yeah. yeah. And it's still, that has been broken since he shot. It's number 11 in the world, non-typical. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there there you go. He gets some new ones and some old ones and piece it together. There's the stories. You want history. You want new stuff. You want different states, different subspecies. That makes the interest. That's the whole tour. Mm-hmm. That's why it's such a, a leader in exhibits. There's been copycats around the country. Some other collectors in Colorado. Two other ones. Tried to put a deer tour together. Bought a bunch of heads. They're just heads. Mm-hmm. Just a number. Didn't work. You know, he did a few shows. Couldn't put it together. Mm-hmm. Some whitetail 
exhibits back east tried it, put it together, but focused on the wrong thing, kind of. So, you know, it was great to, we have the leading exhibit. Start, Bass Pro has the whitetails, obviously. You know, they put the collection together, all the state records. Uh, they contacted me, Roger. We don't want to walk on your toes. We don't want to compete with you. We're interested in your concept. We want to do Eastern shows. That's fine. You can have the Eastern show. I want to stay out West, focus on Western deer. Then they put an 18-wheeler together, and you walk in the trailer. You look at all these fabulous big whitetails, and you walk out the other door. Then they focused on NASCAR races. They could take their trailer, the infield, to a NASCAR race. Not necessarily the sporting good show. So their exhibit travels. You know, they took the black theme, you know, and took a little different direction. But it's fabulous. Mm -hmm. But they focus on their whitetails. Mm -hmm. So how cool is that? What a, what a great, but a, but what the, a great the tour you built over oh, the, the years ideas, and yeah, evolved over the years oh, and focused absolutely. on the right things and, and yeah. built with Eastman's and Mike Eastman oh, teaming up together. Uh, that, that's just a, a fantastic story. Roger, I really enjoyed talking to oh, you. you got you. some great stories tracking those things. Oh, down. absolutely. Thanks a bunch Appreci for being on. Appreciate sharing it. Thank mm -hmm. you very much. Yep. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Uh, Roger Selner, um, such an interesting guy. It's so fun to meet him and, and to be able to record a podcast. I just got got really lucky on that deal, him coming over to the office the same day I was recording podcasts. So uh, thanks a bunch to Roger for, for sharing that. Um he, he's just uh he's he's had such a such a big part of, of Eastman's in the early days and and then throughout the years and and making a successful deer tour and an elk tour and um so interesting chasing down some of these these mounts and some of these heads and, and antlers that are just world class um so so really cool you can just hear the the passion in his voice as he talks about it that uh he just loved doing it for all those years and and uh taking that tour and setting up and and then talking with everybody talking with other other like-minded hunters there at the shows and things and uh just a super super guy um, he doesn't get nervous at all at the podcast. It's just pretty much, uh, cut him loose and let him go. Um, but, but really fun. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks to the sponsor for today's show, uh, tech new, uh, again, make sure to check out their poison Oak, um, their uh, lotion that they have. And they also have their, their, uh, mosquito repellent. Um, and, and, uh, just a, a great company. The time to have that, uh, poison Oak, uh, rash, uh, medication is not after you get into poison oak, poison oak. It's to have it before you get into poison oak. So have it on hand in your truck or in your house. So if you get into that stuff, you can get rid of it because there's nothing worse than that stuff on a hunt. Um, and then over there at Eastman's, we're just going to keep putting out good content, going to get with the guys and record some more podcasts. We're going to do some live hunt updates um, from Arizona for coos deer. So uh, be on the lookout for that on the Eastman's Hunting Journal main page on their Instagram story. Uh, so really excited about that to try to capture the hunt and try to put down a big coos. So um that's me. I'm leaving in a couple days. Got to start throwing my gear together today. Um, last check on the bow. 
get everything packed up in the truck. And uh, Dan's going to be down here uh, Monday morning and um, start the drive down to AZ and get down there and get started. Uh, looks like it's going to be mid-70s down there, which is a, a, a great temperature compared to Montana right now that's about 10 degrees and snowing and coming out of the north. And um, so it's going to be really enjoyable to get down there and, and challenge myself for those coups. And so really looking forward to it. So be on the lookout for the live hunt updates. And uh, with that... Let's call it an episode, and I'll check in with you guys when I get back. Uh, thanks, as always, for all the support and uh, support to the the guests we have on the podcast. Just really brings weight to what we're doing, and we're just building a, a great community of, of hardcore hunters, and, and I can't tell you, um, you know, how much I appreciate all of it, guys. Um, so with that, keep working hard towards your goals. Check in with you when I get back. <laughs>